All right, how am I now? Okay, there we go. Wonderful job. Thank you, praise team. That was beautiful. Uh, just, just beautiful. Just beautiful. I like to see the ensemble up there too. That was, that was nice to see that little extra uh, choir singing up there as well. All right, I hope you're having a good day. I hope uh, you're glad to be here at Tribe Baptist Church, and we're glad to be with you today as we come to God's Word. Today is what we consider Palm Sunday in our history. It's really the beginning of Passover week. It was actually Lamb Selection Day, and it was the day that the lamb was selected that there would be 6,000 lambs or so that would be uh, slaughtered in Jerusalem that week on Friday. And during that slaughter, that would represent 2 million people that had gathered for um, the holiday or the festival of Passover week. So this begins the first day of Passover week. Uh, to a Jewish person, but it's also very significant because it leads up to, for us, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately his resurrection. Take your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I'm going to be preaching a message today entitled, All Tied Up. All Tied Up. I was going to go in a different direction uh, this morning, but as I read this passage, I kind of got stuck in the first few verses, and I realized I'm just going to create a message out of this. Uh, so it's a message that I'm excited about, and a message that I believe um, will speak to your heart as it's spoken to mine. Remember to invite someone out for Easter next Sunday. That's a special day, and a lot of people are very sensitive to the Lord, or to His leading, or His Spirit moving in their life. And so Make an effort to do that, and I believe God would be honored by that and reward your life accordingly for that as well. So today, all tied up, Mark 11. Before I begin, let me mention too, we've got a couple of tables reserved with the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission Banquet. Uh, it's going to be, the title of the banquet is Vessels of Honor, and uh, it's an incredible banquet. It'll be over the Benton Convention Center. If you'd like to go, you can uh, just let us know. It's free for you. We've already uh, sponsored the tables. Uh, it's going to be a special evening. A man named Ryan Dirk is going to be there from Greenville, South Carolina. And Ryan was homeless, and he's going to be telling his story. Uh, was addicted to drugs, and he went to the rescue mission in Greenville, South Carolina. God saved him and then began to grow him. And as he began to grow in his faith, he ended up opening his own rescue mission in Greenville, South Carolina. So he's going to be telling his story that evening. It's really powerful. And so if you'd like to go with us, uh, there's about 12 to 16 seats that are available. So just let us know here at the office and we'll reserve a place for you. All right, let's stand now together for God's word. Mark chapter 11. That's April 28th, by the way, if I didn't say April 28th. That is at 6.30 in the evening at the Benton Convention Center. Mark 11, I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. Follow along now as I read. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, hey, what are you doing untying that colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You may be seated. There are so many small, insignificant things stated in this text in the first few verses that you wouldn't even notice them uh, unless I took the time to show them to you. And so sometimes you just kind of read through the Word of God, you heard the story, you know about the donkey, you know about the Palm Sunday, but, but you miss the details of what the writer here in this case, Mark, is trying to say. For example, this is the first public demonstration where Jesus actually sets it up, designs it, and makes sure that he's seen by everyone. Two million people at Passover during this time of year. So that's quite a few. That's pretty much the nation of Israel at this time. And he sets it up six days before his crucifixion. Now before this event, he hides all of his public demonstrations. If, if somebody tries to draw a crowd to himself, he disappears and removes himself from the crowd. So he's never letting himself be publicly seen or setting up a public demonstration like this in all of his life. So it's very significant to note that. This particular day, Palm Sunday, is Lamb Selection Day. So he's setting himself up on the Mount of Olives to say, I'm the Lamb to choose. There's going to be 6,000 lambs sacrificed on Friday. But pick me. Pick me. This is lamb selection day, and I want to be your lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, actually, what he knows is he's setting himself up for his own crucifixion, his own sacrifice like these other lambs that will be killed at 9 in the morning on Friday as he will be killed or put on a cross. And so, ultimately, that, that event is a setup where the religious leaders are incensed and furious that he's doing this and getting this praise from men and women and from children, and he keep, they keep telling Jesus, tell him to stop, tell him to stop, but he doesn't, he refuses to. And so that incites them even further and sets up a whole line of realms where now they have the people turn against him in crucifixion, ultimately, and the government turn against him and to see him dead. Ultimately, that was all within Jesus' plan and God's plan for his demise in order to save people from their sins. Now, I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture here in verse 1, I want you to notice his location. This is very important because of all these small, little, insignificant details. It says, as he approached Jerusalem, as he's going to his crucifixion, See, he's getting closer and closer. This is the story of the Gospels. Closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem, to the place that he's going to be crucified. And, and it mentions then two more details. It mentions that he comes to near a place called Bethphage. Bethphage. That means in the Hebrew, the house of unripe figs. Now that's important because you need to understand the house of unripe figs is where Jesus cursed the fig tree. And the fig tree represents Israel. And so what he's doing is when he comes to look for those figs and there's none underneath the leaves, 
Jesus curses the fig tree because what he's saying is the house of Israel no longer can help people. It looks like they got a lot in the showroom because the leaves are blowing and it's beautiful, but when you go to look for substance and sustenance, there's nothing there. And so Jesus is ultimately saying, I reject the nation Israel and have turned against them, and now I'm going to set up a new plan as I go to the cross. So what he's saying about the nation of Israel is, you, you look good in the showroom, you got these beautiful leaves on your tree, your nation, but when I go to look for the fruit, there's nothing there. So I'm done with your rules and regulations. I'm done with that covenant. And I'm going to move on to a new covenant where I'm going to give my life. And so that's the idea of Bethphage there, why he's near that, because he's going to the cross. All right? And then you've got him near Bethany as well. The Bible mentions that near the Mount of Olives. Bethany means the house of affliction. So he is going to a rejection with Israel, but he's going to a house of affliction, the Mount of Olives specifically, or the Garden of Gethsemane is where he's going to spend that evening. But, but as he goes to that Garden of Gethsemane, that literally means in the Hebrew, the place of the press. The place of the press. The wine press. It's the place where the olives get crushed. They grow in the garden, and then they're crushed because there's no way to bring their beauty out, their oil out, the oil of healing. There's no way to bring the oil of healing out of an olive unless you crush it. So what Jesus is saying is, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to a place where I'm going to be under tremendous pressure and affliction, and I'm going to be crushed, and my body is going to be crushed, and out of me is going to flow the life-giving blood to provide for everyone eternal life that will come and place their trust in me. It's just beautiful to think about that background to this story here. And so there's no other way to see his absolute beauty than to have him crushed. So he tells his two disciples, there's a village next to you. Now, He's in one village talking about another village. And he says, in a village next to you, next to us, in this village, there's this place where two roads come together. And where the two roads come together, there's this house. And outside of the door of this house, there is a colt under two years of age that is tied to that post. It's an amazing, amazing detail. Now, the disciples never thought and rationalized, how does he know this? What's the matter? That's, that's, that's kind of what they're thinking. Okay, you want us to go get a colt? Well, go get him. Jesus is so aware of what's going on that he knows there's a colt in another city. And not only does he know there's a colt in another city, he knows exactly where that colt is where two roads meet outside of the door of a house, it's tied to a post. And he knows the address that a colt is on. He knows the history of the colt. Never has a man sat on this colt before. It's incredible the things he knows about this little colt. And he's tied up outside by the door of the house where these two roads meet. 
And Matthew 21 is even more specific that there's a mother donkey next to him tied to the same post. So you got him in another city that he's not even in, and he's talking about this other city where a colt's tied outside of a door where two roads meet, and his mother's next to him. And I want you to go get the mother and that little colt, and I want you to bring them to me. Loose them, untie them, and bring them to me. And I thought, what in the world would you tell us all that detail for? That's, that's how you have to read the Bible. You have to say, that's really strange, all these specific details about a cult. And so I, I couldn't go any further in the text. I was going to get all the way to the end about the Hosanna, and I was going to do more Palm Sunday, but I got stuck up on this little cult. And I couldn't seem to get off it this week, and I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And, and, and so here's what I did. Here's what I put a message together. I, I put a message this, and I, I want you to imagine today that you are that donkey. And for some of you, that's not hard, I know. Okay, but I want you to imagine you're a donkey. And you are that donkey. You're sitting there tied to a post outside of a certain house, right outside the door. Your mother's right next to you. So you probably feel a little safe in your life. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't got your mind on much. You're a donkey. Okay, you're, you're sitting there, and, and you're just kind of minding your own business. You feel safe, but the truth of the matter is, maybe you're daydreaming about what you're going to eat for lunch. Maybe some hay, some oats, I don't know what donkeys eat. But you got that on your mind, then you're thinking, maybe I'll end up as, with my dad out in the fields plowing. I'll follow my dad. Or maybe some master will ride me into town. I don't know what was on that donkey's mind. I'd say he was pretty simple. Well, one thing, he was completely unaware that the God of the universe had a plan for him. And he had no idea. So that, that's where I got my idea from, okay? I'm thinking, that's got to be really similar to us. So, so I kind of outlined a message around this. What can you learn about God's plan for your life from a donkey? Okay, what can you learn about God's plan for your life from a donkey? Now, for some of you who are a little more stubborn than the rest of us, I've outlined the message a little different from you, okay? This is your outline. What can a donkey learn from a donkey? All right, that's for some of you. I don't, and I don't know who that fits for, but that's going to be my outline for you. What can a donkey learn from a donkey? All right, number one. Verse two says, And he said to them, Go into a village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there. Number one. God has me tied up. God has me tied up. Jesus said to his disciples, go down to a village next to us, and I got this colt on hold. He can't go backward, and he can't go forward. He can move a little, but he's got a rope around his neck, and he can't go far. I got him tied up. 
I'm just going to kind of jump right into your life. When, when God has a plan for your life, I don't care how much you murmur, you complain, you kick, and you scream like a donkey. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. When God has a plan for your life, the first thing he'll do with you is he will tie you all up. He'll tie you up. That's the first thing he'll do with you. What occurred to me is we like to talk about being loosed. We like to talk about being free. We like to talk about the victory. We like to talk about victory in our prayers. We like to talk about all those kind of things and, and, and the healing that we may get and, and, the, and the future and what's before us. But sometimes we need to talk about God tying people up. Because you're never going to understand your life until you understand that God's going to tie you up. We serve a God that will tie people up. Now, I know the Spirit of God's going to speak to some of you on this because you feel tied up. While you're acting crazy or trying to do your own thing or your temper rages or your ambition is out of control, sometimes God will tie you up until the time is right. He'll tie you up. Until then, nothing's going to work in your life. Your money can't help you. Truth of the matter is, your career won't work. Your boyfriend leaves you. The house won't sell when everybody else's house is selling. You got that mountain standing before you and you say, be thou removed, and it just sits there. It doesn't move. You're all tied up. And you can't quite figure that out in your life. Wait, what is going on? Because when God has you tied up, He won't let you get away. He won't let you get away. Now, I'm just asking this morning, have you ever been tied up? Have you ever been tied up where things were not going the way you wanted them to? You've got you to step back sometimes and admit that. You've got to humble yourself like a donkey. And you've got to say, I'm all tied up. I'm all tied up. I can't quite get the favor of God that I usually get, but I'm, I'm tied up. You've just got to admit it. You've just got to admit it in your life. I've got a situation where I'm completely tied up. Now, now here's what I want to tell you this morning. If you've got a situation in your life where you're completely tied up, Here's what I want you to do. First thing I want you to do is I want you to have enough faith, enough faith to praise God on credit. I, I want you to just praise God on credit because right now he's got you tied up. Just praise him for being tied up. As hard as that is in your life, I, I know it's hard. It's hard in me when I get tied up. Now, here's the first thing I want you to say when that happens. When you get tied up by God, here's the first thing I want you to consider, okay? Say this. I may be tied up, but at least I'm his. At least I'm his. I may be broke, but at least I'm his. I may be lonely, but at least I'm his. 
I may be frustrated, but at least, at least I'm his. That's why you want to praise him. That's why I praise him. I, I, I can't figure all this out, but, but I'm glad he tied me up. There are things that he stopped me from doing that I know I would have done, because I know me. Do you know you? Do you know you, that sometimes you need to be tied up? I know myself. I know I would have messed up. When I look at how my friends got loose, I thank him for tying me up. Within one year of graduating high school, four of my good friends died. I marvel. I puzzle over that. Even to this day, I puzzle over it. My mom would send me clippings to college, and she would send me clippings of an obituary of my four friends. Over the first year of my year in college, four of my good friends had died. I thought about that. I still think about that to this day. I can tell you all their names. I can tell you what they did. I can remember what we did in high school together. They're gone. They're gone. They lived loose. Nobody's going to tie them up. And that's how they lived. Nobody's going to tie them up. And they're gone. It doesn't take long to think, thank you, God, for tying me up. I wasn't happy about it then, but I'm telling you, I stand here today, I'm happy about it now. I am happy about it now. I thank God for tying me up. When I think about who I almost married in high school, when I think about the job I almost got, I can now say, God, thank you for tying me up. That's not easy to do, but I just want you to thank God on credit for some things. When he ties you up. All right, that's number one. That's number one. Let's go to number two. Number two. Uh, let me read the verse first. Verse two says, Go into a village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Verse four. They went away, and they found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Okay? Let's just, let's just uh, make a point of that. The unbelievable detail of Jesus' story about a cult. God knows where I am. God knows where I am. I can't find many people that know where I am. They say they know me, but the truth is they don't really know me. They don't really know me. But, but when you don't know where I'm at, God knows where I'm at. God knows exactly where I'm at. It's beautiful to think about. There's a donkey in the next town. There's two roads. There's a crossroad, and there's a house by that crossroad. He's tied to the post outside of the crossroad. His mom's right next to him. Go get him and bring him here. He knows where I am. I cannot make a decision that God doesn't know where I'm at. I can't move this way. I can't move that way. But the thing I'm thankful for is when the timing's right, he's going to loose me. He's going to loose me. 
He's going to let me go. I may be stuck right now, but it's only a matter of time. <laughs> I, I, I may be weeping right now, but it's only a matter of time. I may be catching a ride on a bus, but it's only a matter of time. I may need a job right now, but it's, but it's, it's just a matter of time. I may be working double shift, but it's just a matter of time. Time's going to fix it. Time's going to settle it. Time's going to work it out. Time will turn it around in God's time, and it will move me where I need to move. God knows where I am. All right, let's go on. Number three. Number three. Verse two. Again, the detail. Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. God needs me. This, this sermon is so simple. God needs me. Bring him here. Bring him here. And if anyone asks, tell the owner, the Lord has need of him. I have a need for him. Bring him here. Come on, get him over here. Bring him to me. And I know that's simple. He needs me. But I needed to know that. Because I, I didn't know God needs folks who were all tied up. I didn't know that about God. I thought God only used loose people. People who got it together. People who were secure in themselves. People who made something of themselves. It, it helps me to know that God has a need for somebody who's got some issues in their life. Somebody who's all tied up. And the Lord is saying to some of you, I still need you. I still need you. I know you're tied up in some mess. I know you're still tied up in some bondage in your life. Nobody knows about it, but I know you're still a mess. I know you're still tied up. I need you. I know you got a yoke on your life. I want to untie you. I need you. I need you. It's beautiful to think about that. I still need you. Bring, bring him here. Bring him here. I need him. Now, if you're here right now in this message, okay, and, and you're not saved, I, I want to tell you something. If, if I ever saw something that was true for a person, this is it on the donkey, okay? The truth of the matter is if you're here and you're not saved, I promise you the first thing I know about you is you're all tied up. You're all tied up in your sin in your selfishness, in your lust, in your gossip, your frustrations. You're, you're all tied up. And God's, God wants to untie you. But he's only going to do it in his time, and you've got to recognize that you're all tied up. You've got to really be a donkey. You've got to really humble yourself to the point where you say, uh, I, I'm all tied up. Here's the cool thing. He knows where you are. He knows where you're sitting right now. He knows what the need of your soul is. I don't know what the need of your soul is, but he knows. He knows where you are. He knows, he knows how to come to you. You can't go to him. My goodness, you're all tied up. You're all tied up serving yourself. 
but he, he knows where you're at. And, and the beauty of it is he's going to go to you. And he wants to untie you. He wants you to bring him to himself. He wants to bring you to himself. And that's the beautiful thing about the Lord is he goes after you. You didn't seek him. He sought you. He started to strive after you. The Bible says in the days of Noah, the Spirit of God would strive after people. It would go after him and it would woo them. You know, that's what the Spirit of God's going to do. He's going to woo you. He's going to try to win you over like a lover. He's going to try to reach you. He's going to try to strive with you. He's going to try to speak to you. He's going to try to talk to you. He's going to try to tell you, child, you're all tied up. I, I want to loose you. I want to set you free. I want, to, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to save you. Because you're all tied up. I know where you are, and I'm going after you, and I'll strive with you. I'll strive, and I'll convict, and I'll speak, and I'll talk, and I'll do whatever I can because I, I want to get down to the core of your soul. Because you're all tied up. I want you to know, I want you to know, if you're here like that and you're not saved, that's Jesus Christ, that's the Spirit of God. Now, the Bible says in the days of Noah, he said his spirit will not always strive with man. There's a point where he'll strive with you and go after you and go after you and go after you, and there's a point where you just won't listen, and you just say, I want to be loosed. I don't want you helping me. And the spirit will not always strive. That's a dangerous place to get in your life where you just will not listen anymore. You're not a donkey anymore. You won't humble yourself. You're going to go your own way. And there's a point where the Spirit will not strive. But it's a beautiful thing when He does strive and He's still talking to you and He's still telling you things. I want to get that straightened in your life. I want to get that untied in your life. I want to get this done in your life. That's a beautiful gift that God gives you, that He goes after you. He says, I know where you are. I'm going after you, and I want to draw you to myself. He wants to tell you, I, I need you. I need you. I have a plan for you. You're my workmanship. Created under good works in Christ Jesus. And I have a need for you. I want you. I need you. you. Say, well, I'm a mess. Yeah, you're a mess. You're a mess. The best way I know how to describe your life is like this piece of paper. That's you. That's you. I can't fix that. How am I going to fix you? Jesus says, I know where you are. And I'm going to pick up the pieces of your life. I'm going to do what nobody else can do. I'm going to put them back together. Will you let me do that? That's the striving of the Spirit, because He needs you. He wants you. That's a beautiful work that Christ wants to do in your life. All right, let's go on to number four. Number four. Verse three. Let me read some of these verses here. Verse three. Jesus said, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went their way. They found the colt tied. And as they were leaving, verse 5, some of the bystanders were saying to them, hey, what are you doing untying that colt? They would be the owners. What are you doing untying that colt? 
They spake to him just as Jesus had told them. The Lord has need of it. He said, okay, go ahead, take it. Number four, God places opposition in your life. God places opposition in your life. God creates and plans opposition to come into your life and he expects you to face opposition. He expects people to do that to you. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, why are you telling me that? He expects that. That's what God does. He sets that up. He says to him, if anybody stops you, you know, he says, I, I know somebody's going to try to stop you. See, I, I know that's going to happen. So if anybody is, tell him the Lord has need of him. The Lord has need of you. So what do we tell him, Lord? Tell him you're not coming in your name. You're coming in my name. You're not coming in your name. You're coming in my name. If they try to stop you, tell them the Lord hath need of him. What's the point? The point is this. You don't fight battles in your name. <laughs> you don't fight battles in your name. You fight battles in Jesus' name. It's beautiful. Do you see that? It's beautiful. You fight in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And when you fight in the name of the authority of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you what, you get a holy boldness about you. You get a holy boldness about you you can't even explain. You'll talk to people that are ready to kick you out of their house. Because I've been kicked out of some houses. I've had some things happen to me. And I'm telling you, though, when the Lord and you speak in his name, you go with the authority, you have a holy boldness about you. Let me tell you about one Mr. Little. I went to see Mr. Little at I went to, to his house. I knocked on the door. His mother asked me to go see him because he was so far into sin in his life. So I knocked on the door. I waited for him to come, and he said, yes, who are you? And I said, I'm, I'm Pastor Rob. Your mom attends my church, and she has a burden for your soul. Can I come in and talk to you? No, no, you can't. Well, I just want you to know your mom has prayed for your soul. I have prayed for your soul. And I just would like to talk to you. No. And let me say something else. He had a Budweiser in his hand. I still remember that. He had that Budweiser in his hand. He said, and don't you ever come back to this house uninvited. I said, all I want to do is talk to you about your soul and what you need. I don't want to hear it. I just told you. Didn't you hear me? Don't ever come back to this house uninvited. I said, can't I just talk to you a few minutes? I don't know what was wrong with me. I just kept on. I had a holy boldness. About that time, a German shepherd came out from behind the door. There was a screen door there. And this German shepherd had this hair standing on the back of his head. And I had my hair starting to stand on the back of my head. I went from a holy boldness to a holy fear. He said, I'm going to let this dog out of this door. He was growling. So I got to thinking, I know he closed the mouths of lions, but I do not believe he's going to close that dog's mouth. <laughs> so I said, okay, Mr. Little, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. But I just want you to know, I'm burdened for your soul. I left his house, and Ezekiel 3 ran into my mind. Son of man, if 
you're the watchman over the house of Israel. I said it before you. And you warn the people of this city. The wicked will die in his wickedness. But if you refuse to warn them, they will die in their wickedness, but the blood will be required of you. The wicked will die in his wickedness, but if you warn them, he will die in his wickedness, but the blood will not be required of you, and you will have delivered your soul. Man, that verse, that verse just ran through my mind. Ezekiel 3, verse 17 to 19. And I looked through my car window, and I saw his house. He was already in the house. And I said, I can tell you one thing about this house. The blood is not on my head. And I can tell you hundreds of people that the blood is not on my head because I warned them about their soul. Now, some of you struggle with a holy boldness. You struggle with a holy boldness. And I'm not telling you you have to be in people's face and all that. I'm just telling you there is something inside of you, you know what's in there, that says, I've got to speak. To that person's soul. God will lead you on that. God will give you a holy boldness over that. And I'm telling you, there are people. I, I, walked out, I walked out of this guy's house. I drew two miles up the road. And I went to one Mr. Gones. And I shared the gospel with him. And he accepted Christ. And I baptized him three weeks later. So you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. But the wicked will die in its wickedness. And I want the blood on me. I know I feel such a release in me when I have shared the gospel. When I have told someone about Jesus when I've had a holy boldness to say, I don't, I don't want the blood on me. I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to walk out of here and feel this heavy guilt. I just want you to feel what's already in you. What you already feel in you is, I do have a responsibility to share. And I want a holy boldness about that. I want a holy boldness. And I, that's, that's all I really want to say to you because it's such a beautiful thing. There's just something about that name. There's just something about Jesus' name. Jesus over your house. Jesus over your finances. Jesus over your body, over your children, over your situation, over your, uh, your circumstances. It's just beautiful to think about. He will place opposition in your path. I promise you that. And Jesus will always make a way. I love it. I have it, I have it in my office. It's in a verse. It's a picture of a mountain. And it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. He is my living God. He is my fortress, my refuge, my strength. And the righteous will run to it. And when they run to it, the Bible says they are safe. It's beautiful. He is the way maker. He is the deliverer. He is the one that does that. Number five, and I'm going to close. Number five. Verse seven. They brought the colt to Jesus. They put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And I didn't quite know how to get a point out of this, so I'm going to keep it simple. All you need to say is, Lord, sit on me. Sit on me. 
The word sat is such a misunderstood word in the scriptures that I want to take a moment just to explain to you. It's used 179 times in the Bible, 19, 19 times it's in the book of Mark. Here it's twice, verse 2 and verse 7. The donkey on whom no man had ever sat. Now what that means is when a colt is under two years of age, before it's sold, an owner will not let anyone sit on it. And the reason he won't let anyone sit on it is because whoever sits on it first becomes the owner of the donkey. And once that owner sits on that donkey, he becomes incredibly loyal to who sits on him first. And so in those days, a man could ride his donkey to the tavern, get something to drink in the tavern, he'd come back out, and nobody can steal the donkey. Nobody can drag it away. He doesn't even have to tie the donkey up. The donkey sits there and waits for his owner. And he will not walk, he will not budge, he will not move until the owner gets on him. So what this, what this verse is telling you, when he sat on him, he's taking ownership of the donkey. He's saying, I own you for the purpose I have set for you. You're mine. You're mine. I own you. It's beautiful. The second concept that's in this word sat is used of judges and kings. When a judge walks into the courtroom, they announce, all rise for the honorable, and then they name the judge. So everybody stands in the courtroom. I don't know if you ever had this happen, but I've had this happen several times, where you have to stand in the courtroom as he walks into the courtroom. Now, when the judge sits down, the judge says, this court is now in session. By sitting down, what he's doing is he's not only owning the courtroom, but he's taking all authority over the courtroom. That now all authority rests with that judge. And that judge is now the authority of the courtroom. And so the Lord just kind of sat down on the donkey. He's taking ownership but he's taking authority over the donkey. He has all authority in the courtroom. Looked like the opposition was going to win. Looked like the prosecutor had you. But the moment the judge sat down, he sat down on your situation. He sat down on your finances. He sat down on your medical record. He sat down on all of it. Because he took full authority and ownership of your life. The Bible says our Lord sits down on the circle of the earth and the earth is his footstool and heaven is his throne. See, he's taking all authority and ownership over all of it. The Bible says in Acts 2, tons of fires came down. It's an unusual word to use there. Tons of fire came down and sat on them. Ta it's taking authority. The Spirit of God is taking authority and ownership over those on the day of Pentecost. That's the idea of the text. So when God sits down, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. That's the idea of the text. Here comes the judge. Jesus sat down on that colt. He entered Jerusalem. And what I'm saying to you is, sometimes in your life, what you got to do is just throw your hands up and say, God, sit on me. Just sit on me. Rule me, own me, take all authority and ownership over my life. My eyes, my ears, everything, Lord, just, just sit on me. 
It's beautiful. He sat on that colt, and that colt started to move through all the people on the way down the Mount of Olives, and he's taking his master to his destiny. It's beautiful to think about. Beautiful. Saddle up and hold on because you're in for the ride of a lifetime. Because he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to sit on you. He's going to sit on you. And this is what you got to know. When he's riding on you, for you to take him into his purpose, the cross and the resurrection, at the same time he's riding on you, he will ride you into your purpose. He will ride you into your purpose. If you let him sit on you. And what strikes me about this text is nobody gets this but the donkey. Everybody else missed the reason of Palm Sunday, that he was offering himself as the Lamb of God, and they didn't want that. They wanted a rebellious king that would take them against Rome. And Jesus Christ weeps because they missed him. But the donkey got it. Are you a donkey? Are you going to get this? That's what he's asking you in Mark chapter 11. Let's pray. Praise team's going to come and lead us in our closing song. With the heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want you a moment for the Spirit of God to speak. The Bible says that the wicked shall die in their iniquity. But Jesus Christ has sent his son to a cross to die for you. And you may be here and you're not saved. And right now I want to give an opportunity for you to receive Christ. And you'd say, Pastor Rob, I admit it, I'm all tied up. I'm tied up in my sin, my selfishness, my lust my gossip, my money. I know I need Jesus. I know I need him. I need a savior. And you know right now, he's the only one that could lose you. He's the only one that could lose you. And you'd say right now, I want to be saved. Would you just lift up your hand right now in this room? If that's you, just lift it up so I can see it, okay? Lift it up high. Okay, there's one. Is there another? Lift it up so I can see. Say, that's me. That's me. Yes. Is there another? I'm just going to take a moment. Spirit of God's speaking. Just lift that hand up. Say, that's me, Pastor Rob. I need to be saved. You rose, raised your hand. Let me just lead you through a prayer. I call it the sinner's prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's, it's your heart right now before God that you would say, Dear God, just say that to yourself right now. Say it to God. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves judgment. I know you sent your son to die on a cross for my sin. I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. Save me. Save me. I, be, I, I believe on the authority of God's word if you prayed that prayer from your heart. 
God saves you. We want, we want to help you grow. We want to help you know how to walk with the Lord and to be loosed, to be loosed. You've got now the power to loose you from the things that have tied you up. Now, I want to, I want to talk to my people and those here today that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Is there some part of your life right now that Jesus needs to sit on? Something right now in your life that Jesus needs to sit on. He needs to take ownership of and authority over. And you would just say this morning, God, sit on me. Sit on me. Own me. Rule me. Just sit on me, God. What is that area? What is that one area? Okay. I want to keep going here. Does God have you tied up? Can you praise him on credit? Just praise him. Just, just praise him to God. I don't know why I'm all tied up. But I know this, I'm yours. And he sees where you are right now. And the time hasn't come yet, but you just praise him now on credit. Some of you, I want to pray that you have a holy boldness to speak, to speak into people's lives in the name of Jesus, in his authority. I just lay those before you right now. Just gave you three simple things to think about there where the Spirit of God could be speaking to you right now. And I'm just going to open this altar as the invitation is sung. And I want you to come. I want you to put that at this altar and just say, God, this is, this is where the need is in my life. I'm all tied up, God. But I'm going to praise you anyways. God, I need a holy boldness. I need the holy boldness to to represent you well. God, I need that strength in me. Give that to me, Father, that I speak in your authority. God, just come and sit on me. Just sit on me. This is something in my life I struggle with. This is something that I just need you to know. You're the owner and authority of it. And your spirit is speaking to me. You bring that this morning. Father, I pray for this time, this message. I pray for our hearts. Now the Spirit of God could speak through a donkey to each of us. What a beautiful thing, Lord. I give you all the praise and honor for it. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to sing. You come as the Spirit of God is leading you.